The Jewish celebration of Rosh Hashanah began last Sunday, and the celebration of Yom Kippur begins on Tuesday. The days that fall in between these two Jewish holidays are known as Days of Awe. Days of Awe. That sounds so awesome. (laughs) They are also known as Days of Repentance. Doesn't quite give you that same lift, does it? If the word awe holds the promise of pulling us out of ourselves and our daily concerns to experience wonder and be filled with gratitude as we witness something greater than we could have imagined, the word repentance tends to be interpreted in contemporary culture as a joyless return to ourselves and indeed an introspective burrowing into ourselves and a rigorous examination of actions and intentions and motivations in the carrying out of our daily concerns. It is little wonder that repentance is a word you don't hear very much. You don't even hear it very much in this religious community as it is often associated with a particular type of religiosity, a type that many of us have left behind or maybe never experienced. But even religions where the act of repentance is treated with great respect have experienced a decline in the enthusiasm in which it is practiced by the adherents of these faiths. Mark Oppenheimer, in an article from back in 2006 in the online publication Slate, entitled Sin Offerings, How Jews and Christians Can Improve on Yom Kippur, notes that Yom Kippur was never intended to be the only day of repentance and atonement, only the most important one, which is why the rabbinic sages suggested a daily prayer of contrition. (coughs) But with the spread of reform and conservative Judaism, few of whose adherents pray daily, this practice faded away and Yom Kippur came to bear the considerable weight of at least a year's worth of regret for the past and best intentions for the future. Not unlike the resolution crushed secular New Year's Day. Speaking of Yom Kippur, he writes, for some Jews it will be a day of real reckoning But the day's rituals probably won't lead to lasting improvements in the characters of most worshipers. If somehow Jews actually are better people in the first weeks of our new year, we soon revert, he writes, before Hanukkah, I'd say, to our old sinful ways. We rediscover the pleasures of gossip, greed, and sloth. New Year's resolutions are New Year's resolutions after all. And if Oppenheimer sees that his own Jewish tradition has grown a little lackadaisical in its recognition of the need for repentance, the same goes for many other groups. The Christian faithful, too, used to steadily make confession, he writes. But the Reformation nearly killed off the practice among Protestants. And in the 40 years since Vatican II, Catholics have also dropped the practice en masse. James O'Toole in Boston College Magazine (coughs) notes that the sharpest decline in confessions 
within U.S. Catholicism began in the mid-1960s. Parish schedules confirm this 20th century decline. In 1900, for instance, Sacred Heart Parish in middle-class Newton, Massachusetts, had settled into a pattern that would remain in place for more than half a century. Four priests heard confessions from 3.30 to 6 p.m. and again from 7 to 9.30, a total of five hours every Saturday. In later years, as confessions declined, fewer hours were set aside. By 1972, with the decline fully underway, five hours were reduced to three. (coughs) And by 1991, that was cut to only an hour and a half. Though the pastor was then also adding, hopefully, on the sign, anytime by appointment. (laughs) I wonder how many takers he had from it. Repentance, through the intentional search for atonement, has become something of a dinosaur in the realm of religious practices in our modern world. Religion is no longer supposed to hold us accountable. We are to hold it accountable. What can I get from religion? How can it help me to grow? How will it increase my enjoyment of life? Will I be saved? Will I learn secrets, wisdom? Will I gain understanding? Will I be understood? Will I be happier with myself? Will I be accepted, welcomed, fulfilled? I think those are all valid questions. But here are some questions I wish to ask today. Is it wise to do away with repentance? Might repentance help to answer some of these questions? Help us to grow to gain understanding? Might it be a necessary component of our mission to deepen connections by nurturing spiritual growth, practicing justice, and yes, inspiring joy? Might repentance provide us a unique entry into the experience of that which is awesome? After all, if the knowledge and practice of repentance is increasingly rare these days, I think that liberal religion is at least partially responsible for its conspicuous absence. Remember Thomas Starr King, a minister who served both Universalist and Unitarian congregations well before the merger in the 1800s, describing the difference between Universalists and Unitarians. Universalists believe that God is too good to damn them forever, and the Unitarians believe that they are too good to be damned forever. (laughs) Now, rejecting the doctrine of hell, of eternal damnation for one's sins or errors, did not preclude the practice of repentance, but it certainly drained it of some of its urgency. Further, in rebelling against the dim view of human nature held by Calvinism, we champion the inherent worth and dignity of each individual in embracing views of the divine that wandered well outside the notion of a personal God 
who kept track of our sins. And indeed, in welcoming those with views of the universe that held no God at all, repentance became virtually untenable. Why repent? And to whom? And indeed, if repentance was only about escaping the wrath of an angry God, assuring one's personal position in a paradise after death, then I would say good riddance. There really is no place for repentance in our tradition. But is that all repentance is? If we understand repentance as that which nurtures our moral character through a clear-eyed assessment of our failings, (coughs) then I think the tradition can be said to have been kept alive by our ancestors, even if it has not been passed on to us explicitly in ritual or liturgical form. And we had reasons for abandoning those forms. After all, we could see that to a great extent, rituals of confession, contrition, and atonement had often devolved into empty acts, easy outs that served to ease the conscience but that did not really change behavior, like we talked about in the conversation earlier. Unitarians believed in salvation by character. The power to improve ourselves is within ourselves, right? Not in any priest or any ritual or any recital of a confession of sins. But I wonder, by making repentance, if we could even call it that anymore, by making it a purely personal act, engaged in exclusively at our own convenience and choice, have we robbed it of its power? Do we trust ourselves to always see ourselves clearly enough to hold ourselves accountable? And do we even acknowledge the need to do so anymore? That's what concerns me. We are experiencing the corrosive and corrupting repercussions of a culture that trivializes the need for reflection and characterizes any form of repentance as weakness and stumbles at best in confronting the need for atonement. Atonement, amends, or reparation made for an injury or wrong. Reconciliation. You see, there is a reason that even a principled change of mind is known derisively as a flip-flop in modern political discourse. There is a reason that President George W. Bush was completely tongue-tied when he was asked by a reporter what his biggest mistake was after 9-11. There is a reason President Clinton chose to argue over the meaning of is rather than being honest. There is a reason that President Donald Trump, when asked as a candidate whether he has ever asked God for forgiveness for his actions, replied, I'm not sure I have. I don't think so. When I drink my little wine and have my little cracker, I guess that is a form of asking for forgiveness, and I do that as often as possible because I feel cleansed. (laughs) Unquote. In other words, I don't ask what's in me, but rather what's in it for me. 
admitting I need cleansing and taking responsibility for the dirt? No, thank you. Feeling cleansed? Yes, please. And though I'm picking on the politicians, I do that only because it is indicative of a greater problem in our society. We are not taught to know ourselves. We are taught that the most important thing is to sell ourselves. Sell ourselves as if we are not people but products. With such a paradigm, we don't admit mistakes. We dismiss them, we excuse them, we explain them, or we justify them. Or we, my least favorite well-worn phrase in popular media, we double down on them. Don't ever admit mistakes, seek forgiveness, make reparations, confess guilt. That tarnishes the reputation of the product. We sell ourselves to voters, to employers, to teachers, to lovers, to our own selves. We have lost the practice of repentance as a culture because we are selling ourselves to ourselves. We don't wish to look too closely because we don't want buyer's remorse. And there is no chance of returning this particular merchandise after all. We have lost the act of repentance because we don't think highly enough of ourselves to think that we can weather the introspection. But we can. It will be okay. In fact, it can be awesome. The part of the roomy poem that we didn't sing this morning is, Though you've broken your vows a thousand times, come. Yet again, come. Come, whoever you are. Ours is no caravan of despair. Though you've broken your vows a thousand times, come. Yet again, come. That doesn't mean we give up on vows. If we break them, it is because we make them. And ours is no caravan of despair because it matters that we make them. And we come together again and again to forgive ourselves and each other and to begin again in love. We are far stronger than we have been led to believe. We have such great and important work to do that we cannot afford to justify and excuse and dismiss and hide and ignore the wrongs we have done. We must face them fully, mark where we have fallen, mourn the systems of evil in which we find ourselves enmeshed, acknowledge sometimes our powerlessness, and then seek out the changes we can make, those actions of atonement, of reparation, of reconciliation. We must decide that we will not sell ourselves, rather we will know ourselves. Looking within so that we may come to know ourselves does not limit our vision of the world. Turning from a misguided path does not require turning away from each other. Rather, this form of repentance opens us up to see who and where we are to appreciate our companions on the journey. Jewish theologian Martin Buber says, it all begins with oneself. You must come to know yourself. Repentance is a vital piece of that knowing, but it begins with yourself. It doesn't end there.
Repentance leads to turning, and that turning leads to your renewed and revitalized relationship to the world. To begin with oneself but not to end with oneself, Buber writes. To start from oneself but not to aim at oneself. To comprehend oneself but not to be preoccupied with oneself. If you want to be loved, love. Repentance is one of the practices that help return ourselves to ourselves so that we may make the greater turning from selfishness to relationship, from self-centered action to compassionate deeds, from death to life. When we are able to tell our stories honestly, straightforwardly, unblinkingly, trusting that facing our failures can enlarge us to new devotion. When we tell our stories from deep inside, then our hearts are in a holy place. And you got to admit, that's pretty awesome. 